right, go ahead and open up your Bibles to somewhere important. My notes are still coming up on my iPad, sorry. (laughs) All right, so last week we started talking about um, what it means to be a disciple. And so if you have your notes from last week, you can grab that. Um, If you don't have your notes from last week, you do have notes that are in the back that have the blanks filled in from yesterday, or from yesterday, from last week. Um, And so some of the highlights of what we talked about as far as what does it really mean to be a disciple is that we were talking about how much more God puts an emphasis on being a disciple than being a Christian. How many of you want to recap that a little bit? Anybody from last week? Yeah, Noah. Disciples used a lot. Christians used like twice. And all the you know, followers of Jesus were disciples. And then after they were disciples for a long time, then they became like Christians because they were now more like Christ-like. Yep, exactly. First mention of the word Christian in the Bible is in Acts chapter 11. It's only used three times in the scripture. And in Acts chapter 11 it says that the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So it's very important for us to realize that because in our day and age, people are Christians And then I feel like with a lot of people, if you get really, really serious about being a Christian, then you can become a disciple. When that's never found in Scripture. That's not what the Bible refers to being a disciple at all. The Bible says if you are a faithful disciple, then you are a Christian. So that's completely different from how people define it today. And I don't know why in the world my app is not working with me. So let's try this again. Come on. And then after that, we talked about how do you become a disciple? So someone give me a rough paraphrase of that one from what you learned. How does someone become a disciple? And what do we need to emphasize? There we go. Got it up. How does someone become a disciple? If you need to cheat and look at your notes, then so be it. (laughs) How does a person become a disciple in your own words? Yeah, Jack. You have to speak through Jesus. Yeah. It's not speaking your own words. That you, as a disciple of Jesus, you speak Jesus' words to people, and then they have a choice to do what? Receive it. it. Believe it, receive it, or not. And then they then end up continuing God's word. That's very important. So I wanted to emphasize to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's very important. We are not in the business of making disciples of ourselves. It's very, very important. A lot of churches, this is what they do, and this is why things don't last in their churches. This is because they make disciples of themselves, or they make a disciple, as far as the church is concerned, they make a church mirrored after themselves, instead of making disciples according to Jesus himself. So when you speak, and maybe you can even think about this for a second, you know, why do you, when you say what you say, or you say what you believe, or you're trying to explain someone, uh, maybe when it comes to, you know, your church, or, or why you read the Bible that you read, or the things that God's teaching you, are you sharing those things because you want them to believe that you know what you're talking about, or are you sharing those things because you actually want them to become a disciple of Jesus? It's a big difference, because it's not about being right. A lot of us want to win the argument. As we can tell, we're very competitive. <laughs> We want to be right, but it's not about being right all the time. It's about sharing Jesus with people. And do you realize that even if you fumble over your words and you share things that might, you know, you might just be hesitant or you might uh, just be unsure of yourself, do you realize the fact that God can take your fumbling words and your maybe misspeaking, he can still use that in the hearts and lives of people to bring them to him, that he can still do that. 
It's not about being eloquent. It's not about having all the right answers. It's about just being faithful. And then God will take that and he will do some amazing things with it. But it's about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So, and this continues, as point number seven says, and the disciples of Jesus are multiplied. And we can see that in the scriptures. And then we talked about the progression out of Romans 10 of how people need to call upon the Lord for salvation. But before they call, what do they need? Before someone calls upon the Lord for salvation, what do they need to do? You remember Romans 10? There's that progression. We drew it up on the board. They need to believe. So let me get rid of CNN over here and the idiots. So in order to, as Romans 10 puts it, people need to call upon the Lord for salvation. They first need to believe. And before that, what do we got? Hear. Hear. And before they hear, what do we need? A preacher. And then, in order to have the preacher, they are sent. So a preacher is sent. And then, once a person calls upon the Lord for salvation, then this portion right here is what we refer to as discipleship. And during discipleship, you're learning how to behave, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But the end result of being discipled is that you are now a disciple of Jesus Christ. And John 17, verse 18 says, Jesus says specifically to the Father, Father, as you sent me into the world, so I send my disciples. So every single person, this should be the pattern of your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. If this doesn't exist, you're not a disciple. And that doesn't mean that, because we hear the term preacher, and when you hear the term preacher, what do you think of? A pastor speaking on a Sunday morning, or on a Sunday night, or a Wednesday night, or whenever they end up getting together, preaching a message from the Bible. That's not necessarily the definition of a preacher. A preacher just tells people the truth. They explain God's words to people. That's all they do. So when you have an opportunity to witness to somebody, you are a preacher. You are. Anytime you have the chance to open up the scriptures, or to share what God is doing, or what God has taught you from the Bible, you are a preacher. You're a preacher. And as a preacher... Your goal is for people to hear you. So if you never open your mouth, no one can hear you. And as you open your mouth, for good or for bad, God's word is sent, even if you fumble over your words, and then people can make a choice to believe it or not. And then if they believe it, then they call upon the Lord for salvation, and then they learn how to continue, because this is John eight thirty one. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So it's a very simple pattern of what it really means to be a disciple. Okay, so that's that very important pattern that we talked about last week. And now let's talk about this. And we don't have time to look at all the verses here, but I want to hit the major ones. So what does Jesus expect from his disciples? So if you desire to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's good to know what he expects. Because one day, every single one of us is going to stand before God, and you're going to have to give an account of your stewardship. Now, the Bible says very, very clearly that as born-again believers, we are not going to give an account for our sins because your sins are paid for. When Christ died on the cross, your sins are over. So God's never going to bring your sins up to you ever, ever again, ever, which is amazing, and I'm so thankful. However, what you did with what he gave you. So think about this. When you are saved, when a person is born again, what do they get from God? Salvation. Peace. Peace. Protection. Yep, protection. The Holy Spirit. 
And the Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians, gives you... What does the Holy Spirit give you? Conviction. Convictions. Yep, absolutely. But specifically, He gives each and every one of us unique gifts, spiritual gifts. So there are certain things that the Spirit gives you the ability to do that's not according to your own strength, your own power, your own wisdom, that you have the ability to do that no one else can do. So... If you've been given the gift of salvation, that means you understand the message of salvation and God has entrusted that to you. So what are you going to do with it? You're going to keep it to yourself or we're going to start to give it to other people that need to hear it. God has equipped you uniquely to do something to serve and to edify the body of Christ. Are you going to use it or not? Are you going to get involved in your church and actually begin using the gifts that God has given you, both spiritually and even carnally? God has gifted you guys in your flesh with certain abilities and talents that even if you weren't saved, you would still have. Why not use those things for God? You know, I mean, even though like, even though I was saved when I was younger, in me, in my flesh, I had the ability to do music. So why not actually use that now for God? I, I was athletic early on, so why not use that now for God? Because it belongs to him anyway. He gave it to me in my flesh. But then there are other things he's given me spiritually that I have the ability to do. You know, one of the things he's given me is he's given me the ability to teach the Bible. So I need to be faithful to teach the Bible faithfully. I have to do that. It's part of the reason why I'm in the office that I'm in today. And there's other things that you're able to do that the Spirit of God has given you as well. So you've got to know what God expects of you because he's given you something that now you can invest. You can now do something with. And so it's very, very important. And your life is very, very important to him. And we should spend our life for his purposes. Okay. So what does he expect? So first of all here, um, and this is right out of our title for the series, and we talked about this at camp. Jesus expects you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ daily. Daily. Let's go over to Matthew 16. Matthew 16 for this one. Matthew chapter 16. And within this context, we can see what he really means by this. And this is not something that should be surprising. We know that this is what God expects of us. The issue is, do we actually do it? So Matthew 16, and someone read 24 through 26. 24 through 26, go ahead. Okay, so here he says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Now, I like how that says that in the scriptures because it's not like a progression. Like first you have to deny yourself and then you can take up your cross and then follow him. No, there's ands in there. So deny himself and take up his cross and follow. So it's all in one. You have to be doing all three at the same time. You can't follow him without taking up your cross and denying yourself. You can't take up your cross without denying yourself and following him. You can't deny yourself without taking up your cross and following him. So it's all connected. All of it is connected. And then he gives a comparison. For whosoever shall, will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. See, that's what he's asking you to do. This means it is a complete abandonment of your plans and your desires for your life is a big deal because there are certain dreams that we might have certain aspirations that we might have in our own life and God is asking you I want you to be willing to take whatever that is 
and lay it on the altar. And if I want to take it away, I can take it away and you'll let me. That's a big deal. That's something that's huge. That's huge. But that's what it means to be a disciple. Because it's not your life anymore. It's not about who you want to be. It's not about what you want to do anymore. It's about what does he want me to be. It's about what, what does he want me to do. And that's what I want to do. I don't want to do what I want to do anymore. I want to do what he wants me to do. That's what Jesus is asking. So that's why you have to count the cost of discipleship. Because that's a pretty big question. But that's what he expects. That's just common. This is like the, this is like the beginning stages of being a disciple. That's just part of the deal. Next, and this should go right along with it, prioritize Jesus Christ in everything and above everyone. We looked at this one at camp in Luke 14. We won't turn there. But that's where he says, if anyone wants to come after me, he has to hate his father, his mother, his brethren. Now, Jesus isn't telling you to just start hating your family. Like, oh, I'm already there. I already hate him anyway. No. (laughs) Jesus isn't saying that. What he's saying is that do you prioritize me above everything else? Am I taking your top priority in your life above anything and everyone? Do I get the first of everything? Because that's what it means to be a a disciple. And that's not easy to answer because we can have competing priorities. You know, stuff, things we're responsible for can get in the way and we can somehow think that that's more important than following God in this moment. But that's not what he's asking. He wants to be the top priority. So why should you want to do good in school? Because that's what God wants for you. Why should you want a biblical relationship with somebody? Because that's what God wants for you. Why should, why should you use your talents and abilities to serve God? Why should you have a good testimony? Because that's what he wants you to do. Not because that's the Christian thing to do. Forget that. That won't get you anywhere. You do these things because it's what God wants you to do. Otherwise, it's just religion. And that's the difference between religion and having a relationship. All right, next, what God requires you to do is to be faithful in your stewardship of what God has entrusted to you. God has entrusted to you some some very, very important things. Go over to 1 Corinthians 4. I want you to see this one. 1 Corinthians 4. And someone else go to um, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. Go ahead, Haley, you can take that one. Everyone else go to 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4. <clears throat> Verse uno and dos. 1 Corinthians 4. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And then I love what he says after this. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of any man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. So God's going to judge him one day on his stewardship, and that's the point. But here specifically he says that they are stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, if you, this is a really cool study, we've done this in the senior high before, but if you look up the, the word mystery, and you look, take that word and you look it up in the New Testament, What you'll find is that there are seven New Testament mysteries and God expects you to know them and to be a good steward of them. Do you know them? Because in order to be a good steward, you have to know them. And so there's the mystery of godliness. 
There's the mystery of Christ indwelling the believer. There's the mystery of the church. There's the mystery of Israel's restoration and how God's going to bring them back again one day during the tribulation. There's the mystery of the rapture. There's the mystery of iniquity. And there's mystery Babylon. It's a really cool study. And God expects you to be a good steward of those things. And, and as far as Paul's concerned, you have 4 verse 1 where he says that they're stewards of the mystery of God. You might say, well, Paul says here that, that they're the stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay, hold on. Go over to chapter 11. Look at chapter 11 of the same book. Where he tells the Corinthian believers, and God tells us today, Paul says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So that removes any excuse that you might have. Paul says you need to be a follower of me, and if Paul was a steward of the mysteries, so we need to be good stewards too. So that's something very, very important. So in order to know the mysteries, you have to know how to study your Bible. And maybe in order to study your Bible, you have to be discipled, and someone needs to show you how to study your Bible. So there's some things that you need to do practically. Now listen to 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. So there, God says specifically that we're entrusted with what, Haley? The gospel. God has entrusted his message of salvation to all mankind, to you. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. If I were God, because I know me, if I were God and I'd be looking down at myself, which sounds weird just even saying that, I wouldn't trust myself with the gospel because I know who I am. I know how frail I am. I know how weak I am. I know how much of a sinner I am. Why would God entrust me with the gospel? Okay, that's a great question, but it really doesn't matter. He did. He entrusted you with the gospel, so what are you going to do with it? Are you actually going to live it out? Are you going to let it affect your life? Are you going to give it to other people when you have the opportunity or not? Or not? So he has given you some things that you need to be a good steward about. And then uh, next we've got fruit that remains. So Jesus expects his disciples to bear fruit that remains. Go to John 15. John. John 15. So you are supposed to bear fruit as his disciple, and you are supposed to bear fruit that remains. Take a look at verse 4. All right, so there's this picture of the vine and the branch. And verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. So it's impossible for you to bear fruit, which was what he expects, unless you abide in Christ, which means that you are staying close to him, plugged in with him, walking with him. So that's important. And then take a look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So just some fruit's not enough. You need to bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. And then take a look at verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. What good is fruit if it doesn't remain? You ever have fruit that just rots on the counter? You're like, mmm, delish. I was craving rotten bananas. That's gross. I don't like them. They're good in smoothies. That's it. Yeah, banana bread. That's it. That's it. But outside of that, once it starts attracting insects and bugs, yeah, it's probably not, not too good. Not too good. Have you ever bitten into like um, something and you found out after you bit into it that it was rotten? <laughs> God does not desire that. That's gross. <laughs> he wants fruit that remains. He wants good fruit. 
So that means that as a disciple, not only are you seeking to bear fruit, which means that you're trying to win people to the Lord, for sure. You're trying to share the gospel so they can be saved. There's no doubt about that. But you're also trying to encourage other believers. You're trying to encourage other believers to walk with God. If other (coughs) believers are in sin and you see that, it's your responsibility to try to love them and to tell them that they're in sin so that way they can get back on track with God. Like there's all sorts of fruit. I mean, even just you obeying God on a daily basis, spending quality time with God can be fruit. All these things need to exist. So he wants you to bear fruit, but then he wants that fruit to remain. He doesn't want it to be something that you end up throwing away. And that means you need to take care of it. You know, there's certain, certain like fruits and vegetables that if you don't put them in the fridge, then they're going to go bad faster. You know, there are certain ones that you don't wash yet. Because if you wash them too soon, it wipes off the chemicals, it's keeping them preserved, and then they rot quicker, you know? So just start thinking through that on a spiritual level. There are certain things that he wants you to do and not do that helps fruit to remain. Sometimes we get involved in people's lives when we shouldn't be getting involved in their lives at all. You ever thought about that one? But we just do because we think we're somehow trying to help them out and really we're making things worse, <laughs> you know? And there's sometimes that we don't get into people's lives when we should because we're just afraid of breaking a friendship or whatever. We're afraid of what they're going to think of us rather than caring what God thinks. So there's all sorts of things. As we kind of work through that, it'll help you try to think about that. Fruit that remains. God expects that. Uh, God expects you to be of one mind, striving together with other disciples for the faith of the gospel. Go to Philippians 1. I love this one. Philippians 1. And someone can go to Jude, verse 3. Jude. Haley, you did the last one. Jamie, you can do this one. All right. Philippians 1. Philippians 1, 27. I love this verse. This is a great verse. Philippians 1, 27. It says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, we know conversation. I love how that, that term is used there. We use it today as in the words that we exchange with people. And that's not exactly accurate because your conversation can be more than your words. Like, let me give you an example. I'm having a great day today. <laughs> I'm not. I'm being a liar. If I, My countenance is off. So your conversation is more than your words. It's how you live. It's how you carry yourself. It's the way that you, you make decisions in your life. Because there are some people where they say one thing, but then their life decisions mirror something else. And then they are liars and hypocrites. So they are communicating that they're not true. They're not genuine. They're not the real deal. They're not a person of their word. So no matter what they say, you don't believe them. That's why. Their conversation is all of them. Their life, their words, everything about them, that is their conversation. And so God says here, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Your life should mirror and should be a good reflection and a good testimony upon the gospel. If there's something in your life that doesn't reflect well when it comes to the gospel, then it's got to go. It's got to go because God says your life, your conversation, your words should be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. It's like your life and the gospel should fit well together. Have you ever tried to take Legos and try to smash them together when they don't fit? Yeah? Brandon's done it. (laughs) I mean... It's yeah. Or have you ever tried to put a pair of shoes on that don't quite fit your feet right? Because you've grown, you know. Or have you ever done the fat guy in a little coat type deal? Try to put on a shirt that's just way too small for you, and then try to get that bad boy off. 
It's just, it doesn't fit right. It doesn't fit right. So in your life, in your life, the gospel should fit you. It should fit. It should fit. If the gospel doesn't fit right in your life, then there's something in your life that's not right. It should fit. It should fit well. It should be a perfect fit. So if the gospel is not a perfect fit in your life, then there's something in your life that is wrong. It is ungodly and it should go. It should go. And here's the point. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You can't strive together with someone if they don't have the same things in mind. If they don't have the same spirit. It's hard to be friends and to be happy around someone that is not happy. Because emotions can tend to rub off on people very, very easily. I mean, try to have a great day when everyone else around you is grumpy. It's just not going to work well. So likewise with the gospel. It's hard to strive together for the faith of the gospel when no one else has that in their heart and in their mind. It's just not going to work. And then Jude 3, listen to this one. earnestly contend for the faith earnestly contend that means that you fight with everything that's in you to keep it preserved and intact you've got to be able to do that if the gospel is not something worth fighting for in your life then you have the wrong priorities and you're not a disciple so be of one mind striving together with other disciples for the faith of the gospel the next point maintain an eternal perspective if you do not learn how to maintain an eternal perspective you will never be fruitful you will not you will not be fruitful in your life if you cannot maintain an eternal perspective. Colossians 3 is probably the best one for this one. We don't have time to turn there. But Colossians 3 tells you to set your affections on things above, not on the earth. So in your life, your vision must be always centered towards heavenly things, eternal things, and not earthly things. And I think all of you can agree in, in your life that things go awry when you start focusing too much on stuff here. When you start focusing too much on the things you have to do here and your priorities here, your friends here, your family that's here. You, so when you start thinking too much about things here, you don't have room for the things of God. You're not thinking about them at all. And if you're never thinking about the things of God, then you're never going to do anything for the Lord. And you're never going to be obedient. Jesus expects from his disciples to maintain the eternal perspective. And then after that, he expects his disciples to walk in the will of God. This is another really good study. If you don't have anywhere to go this week in your devotions, this would be a great study for you. It is God's will for you to do these seven things. Because if you look up the will of God, you'll find these seven things in the New Testament. It is God's will for you to be repentant, to be sanctified or set apart unto him for his use, to not be conformed to this world. You're supposed to obey the authorities in your life, even though it might be difficult. You're supposed to live a life of thankfulness and gratitude. You're supposed to have a right heart attitude towards everything, which is so hard. And you're supposed to not waste the time that he's given you. Those are things specifically called out in the New Testament that are the will of God in your life. And you can look up those scripture references at some point in the future. And then lastly, it is, it is God's desire. He expects his disciples to have a loving thriving, obedient, submissive, and unwavering personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he expects. Um, go back to John. Go to John 14, and then we'll end in John, the last chapter of John. I want you to see that. Go to John 14. John 14.
John 14. Go back to chapter 13. I want you to see this verse. Chapter 13, verse 34, and then we'll do 14, verse 15. So John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So we're supposed to love other people, and especially other disciples, the same way that Jesus has loved you individually. And then look at 14, verse 15. If ye love me, what does he say? Keep my commandments. Verse 34 tells you what the commandment is, by the way, of chapter 13. A new commandment I give unto you. There it is. So if you love Jesus Christ, you will keep this commandment. Think of how Jesus Christ has loved you. I mean, just think. Give, give me some stuff. How has Jesus Christ loved you? Pretty minor. I mean, Jesus just kind of like gave up his own life for us, you know, died so we wouldn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. Gave you a family. How else has Jesus loved you? Yeah, Brandon. Yeah, absolutely. Grace. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yes. The fact that we're not just knocked dead because we deserve it. I mean, we're idiots, people. God desire. I mean, we deserve for God just to wipe us out completely, and He hasn't. He hasn't because we're idiots. I mean, I get frustrated with my own children. I can't imagine how frustrated God gets with me because He has to teach me the same thing fifty thousand times, and I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Not only did Christ die for you, but like when he died, he took the hit for every person. Like spiritual, the spiritual way. People like to focus on the physical beatings and the crucifixion and what he went through and the suffering, which is totally legit and it's true and I totally get it. But do you understand the spiritual weight Jesus had to go through for you? Like, I mean, what you deserved, like you deserved to be thrown into hell and then thrown into the lake of fire and spend the rest of eternity there for all the sins that you've committed. Even just one sin. That's what you deserved. And Jesus took the the wrath of God for all of that for you so you would not have to go there. That's a pretty big deal. And he didn't just do it for you. He did it for every person. Even though most people won't receive Jesus Christ, he still took it anyway. That is... Talk about a definition of love that we need to understand. I mean, do we love people like that? Are we that patient with other people around us? Do we really care about people like he cares for us? That's what he told us to do. So, in order to love people that way, you have to be close to Jesus. That's my point. You can't love people like that. You can't obey this commandment if you're not close to the Lord. Because you have to be near to his heart to hear him and to think how he thinks and the best place to go to get close to his heart is right here because he poured his heart out in this book for you and so how you treat this book is how you treat him and how close to Christ's heart that you want to be is how close you are to this book so it's very important he wants to have that kind of a relationship with you unwavering it will never move I love it so that's what it really means to be a disciple and what he expects from his disciples now next week we're going to spend some time talking about developing the heart of a disciple. So I'm excited about the message next week. What does it mean to have the heart of a disciple and how can you have the heart of a disciple? Because that's where it really 
comes down to if you want to be a good disciple, then you need to have the heart of one. Otherwise, it's not going to work. So we're going to talk about that next week. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Rick, why don't you close this out? Dear Lord, we just uh, come before you. Lord, we have to ask ourselves, where are we at with you spiritually and personally? Uh, Lord, I just uh, keep thinking about our time since camp and you know, where, where have our hearts went? Have they drifted? further away from you, if they drifted closer to you, folks who raise their hands to be disciples, are they still, are they still feeling that urge? Lord, our personal relationship with you now at this age is crucial for the direction that, that the course is set for us. Some of us are still into playing games wasting time and Lord you're calling us to not do that you're patient with us and you're long suffering and we continue to do the things that we ought not and Lord the things were laid out tonight for us to, to be disciples not just part of the multitude and not just a follower anybody can be a follower but Lord are we going to be disciples are we going to lead others are we going to invest what you've taught us and to other folks are we going to mature so Lord I pray tonight for each and every person in this room today whether you're a student or a leader that we would just just call on you and, and give all these things over to you whatever our distractions may have crept back in since getting home confess those things out and get right and get going be a disciple that you've called us to be. So, Lord, I pray for I pray for these decisions to be made. Lord, I pray for the folks uh, about baptism. Uh, if they were considering that, I pray that they would really, really dig deep and realize that that's the next step that they need to do and uh, and get to it. Lord, time's time's wasting, and you're coming back soon. But souls need to be saved, and disciples need to be made. So, I pray that we would just have hearts to do these things. Just lift all these matters up to you. We thank you for Stephen tonight. Just uh, pray for uh, protection around him and his family. And uh, Lord, for all of our pastors, as uh, we go out of here tonight, keep us safe in our travels. Lord, you're so good. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, don't forget this Saturday, try to be at the Chudises at 5 for the Bloom Fest. And um, yeah, make sure you get the 24th on the calendar for the cookout. All right. Bye-bye.